First of all, we can be thankful that we're alive today, yes? Yes. Um, I meant what I said in prayer, that we don't know how many times God saves us every week. Uh, As I've told you before, I live on Soledad Raceway. Some of you live on Golden Canyon Raceway. Some of you live off of, uh, let's see, where is it? Huh? Esteban Drive Raceway. You know, so we just don't know. We just don't know. I, I survived going all the way to Pine Springs Ranch, where I joined uh, Pastor Greg and the rest of uh, the pastors, well, mo- most of the rest of the pastors from the Southern California Conference, and we had what the uh, intention was, was a retreat. And I, I want to go on record with you and, and with the Southern California Conference as saying thank you. It was outstanding. It was wonderful. And it was meant to be one of those retreats that truly was a spiritual feast as opposed to, shall we say, a, a workers' meeting. Some of you know what that means. Uh, people who work for the church, they'll call it a workers' meeting. Some of you might know it as continuing education mandated to you by your boss, okay? Many of those uh, meetings are had by us in industry in America today, but uh, what was designed uh, into this situation was the opportunity to hear from the Word of God, to, to drink deeply of His Holy Spirit. And so I have, I have a report to give you. I, I, have, I have come down from the mountain. And uh, I'm back in the valley. This, this is our valley, right? I mean, we can claim this is our valley. I'm back in the valley because I really was. I, I was over uh, 5,000 feet up. Uh, if you've not been to Pine Springs Ranch, you owe it to yourself to, to take a drive over there. Uh, Pastor Greg was kind enough to introduce me to Idlewild. You guys are like, yeah, been there, done that. But yes, I am new to California. I have not been to Idlewild yet. And it is a cute little town uh, in which I, 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 I bought my wife a present. So I'm happy to say that, that she was there with me in spirit. But this was a, a meeting just for the pastors. And I'm going to tell you, the, the guy that spoke, uh, Brother Snell, uh, he really had a way with what he said. And uh, you will probably hear certain things. I will try to be true to him and give credit when I mention some of these things to you uh, in times to come. But that's what I did in the early part of this week, and I'm, I'm just wanting to let you know that, that Jesus is alive, and He is healing His people today. Yes, hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus is alive, and He is healing His people, including the pastors of this conference, many, many of whom um, are, are not blessed like I am to have a congregation like you. So just a little kudos to you. Thank you for your cooperation, your interest, your willingness. These these are things that obviously pastors look for, but more than me, more than me looking for these things, the Holy Spirit looks for these things. And so as we talked about the role of stewardship today in our lives, in our Sabbath school lesson, I made mention, and also Barry made mention, the fact that we we have blessings in our lives because we cooperate with God. So I told 
told the class this morning, you're never going to hear me beat you up for not paying tithe or not paying church budget or whatever. I'm just going to pray for you because I know that you will be missing out on the blessing. You will be missing out on the blessing if you, if you don't participate. So I'm going to say, this is a very, very blessed congregation because uh, as of our business meeting a little earlier this year, we found out that, that, that you guys think that what happens here is worth putting your money towards. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm saying thank you on behalf of all of us thanking each other because together we make up this congregation. And together we as pastors uh, listened to the word of God this week and, and we're tremendously, tremendously blessed. And, and I, I'm just reporting back to you and saying uh, in our system, in the Adventist church, moments like that are few and far between, but when they come with such force and such power like they did this week, I can't help but testify that the Spirit of God was amongst us on that mountain. And, and I'm very thankful to have, been, to have been part of that. But hey, we're talking this month about the upside-down kingdom. And uh, Greg, who, as you know, is a voracious reader and is reading huge, huge amounts for his studies these days, reminded me of something that I probably omitted last weekend. And I want to redress that at this time and say that there is a book by Ron Crabill. Now, if you want to get it off of Amazon, please do. It's nothing I've been trying to hide from you at all, but Crabill, that's not Graybill with a G, it's Crabill with a C. K, Crabill, Crabill with a K. Ron Crabill is the author of the book called The Upside Down Kingdom. So what we can cover in the three Sabbaths that we are going to be dealing with this, at least in the month of March, you could read so much more if you got a hold of Ron's book. And I would definitely recommend that that you do that. But the way that we have come at this situation is to couch the, the principles of the upside-down kingdom inside of the three temptations of Jesus. Now, for sake of ease of memory, because my memory is like a sieve, if yours is like that, then you will like what I'm doing. One, bread. Two, temple. And two weeks from now, mountain. So just remember, bread, temple, and mountain, and you get the framework upon which we are hanging these ideas of the kingdom of God. Next week, I just want to tell you, I'm very excited to announce to you that we are going to have a singing Sabbath, okay? If you like to sing like I like to sing, then I'm working with Eric and, and, and his group, and there's a bunch of us going to be up here singing. I hope there's a bunch of you out there to sing with us. We are going to sing praises to God next Sabbath. So if, if, if you have been looking for a time when, when we can sing some of the good old uh, songs of the church, then please come next Sabbath. So the following Sabbath, the last weekend of, or the fourth weekend of March, because that's, that's not the last one, we will talk about mountain. Following that... What do you think is happening the very last, the fifth Sabbath? This is a five-Sabbath month. The fifth Sabbath is? What's Friday night, though? 
Only two of you knew? Okay. This is a once in seven year opportunity and we are going to make the most of it. Once every seven years, Passover comes on the same weekend as Easter. One is a lunar calendar, Passover, and one is a solar calendar, Easter. So when they cross, we have an opportunity to enact a moment just like Jesus did at the time of his death, burial, and resurrection. And so on that Sabbath, we are going to have a Passover Seder, you could call it. Uh, I would like to use the word that goes for the, the liturgy, the liturgy that we're going to use, the format that we're going to use, which is called the Haggadah. Okay, it's a messianic Haggadah. And what you will learn by coming that day is for all your senses, because we're going to offer you something to eat. You're going to get to taste the pieces of the meal. Okay, won't be in church. I'm, 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 I'm getting a crew together that are going to sit up front here, and they're going to taste the meal as we go through it. But what you will learn, if you have never had this experience, it's a must, it's a must, okay? Because what you'll learn is that Easter comes out of Passover, okay? If there wouldn't be, there wouldn't be a need for, for Easter if there hadn't been a Passover. Does that, does that tweak your mind just a little bit? In other words, Jesus was eating the Passover meal, and that's what we call the Last Supper. Right? Is he not doing... Okay, so that gets your minds going, gets your minds going that the Passover lamb was the Lamb of God. Are we joining some things for you? See how, see how the fact that we've got Passover and Easter, it's just going to be amazing. And I think forever afterwards, whenever you celebrate communion, you will never be able to think of communion the same again. And it will be so positive because it connects all of these amazing things that you have heard stories about in the past. So that's the very last Sabbath of March. Don't be absent. Be here. You can't watch. You can't have the same experience on television. Uh, be here for that, okay? So today is Temple Mount. Some of you know that I spent some time in Israel as a student missionary. Uh, when, the, when the program was going uh, there in Israel, they really didn't want uh, theology majors to go. They thought that theology majors would just spend a lot of time uh, learning Hebrew and doing archaeology, and they wouldn't be doing their job teaching English. Well, uh, my theology friend and I, we went anyway. We actually asked the State Department, should we go to Israel? This was 1982-83. Should we go to Israel? And the State Department said, no, uh, we think there's an uprising coming. And sure enough, the first intifada happened while uh, we were there. And... Uh, by that time, I was teaching alone in Jerusalem, and my partner was up in, in Nazareth, and he was teaching uh, many more students in Nazareth. And so I left Jerusalem, and I went up to Nazareth and lived there with him, and we taught uh, somewhere around 65 students uh, some better conversational English. Uh, funny story, the only books that we could find to teach out of were produced in England. So I had to give my 
fellow American, although I wasn't an American citizen at that moment, I had to give him a primer, uh, a quick little tutorial on the difference between American English and English English. Uh, and, and so he would pop his, because we literally, we, we, we would teach with me facing a blackboard this way, and then we hung a blackboard onto that blackboard, and he taught that way, and I taught this way, and we would teach class together in a, in a big room that was about half the size of the sanctuary. And sometimes he'd pop his head around and say, what is this? And I'd say, that, that, that's a contraction. T-H-E-Y apostrophe R-E is there. And we found that the English use a lot more contractions. I mean, when was the last time you used the word shan't? That's the English contraction of shall not. I shan't. Okay, we, we just don't speak like that in America. Okay, and, and, and actually sometimes in England they don't speak like that either, but uh, you might hear it on the BBC or maybe when the Queen is speaking or something like that. So we were in, we were in Israel. And we got used to uh, going around where people wear uniforms and then they have guns and so on. This is a, a state that is constantly on the alert for attack. And, and if, if, you, if you live there for any amount of time, you will talk to people and they will tell you why they have to live like that. And really, you don't have to talk to them very long to understand that they have to live like that because, as we found, even while we were there, I mean, my friend was downtown Jerusalem one day, and he did watch as a person pulled out a knife and tried to stab somebody at a bus stop. And we would say, well, that, ha that happens in L.A. every day. So if you want to think about the gangs of L.A., all right, and, and, and what it is to live in certain neighborhoods in L.A., then that's what it is to live in many parts of Israel, even to this day, even to this day, because there's just that tension that exists. In other parts, like, hey, like Santa Clarita, you know, we just kill each other on the highway. Uh, we don't kill each other with knives and guns, right? Yeah, it's been very surprising to be in Santa Clarita, and six people, six people have died in Santa Clarita on the streets of Santa Clarita since I've lived here. Uh, that's not a little for this town of 250,000 people, that's a lot. So be aware, Santa Clarita has bought six more motorcycles and there are six more motorcycle cops out there and they were on the Santa Clarita Raceway. Uh, they were on the Soledad Raceway this week. So I was being a good boy and going the speed limit. <laughs> Temple Mount, Temple Mount is this place uh, in the, 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 the city of Jerusalem that still exists today. It doesn't have the temple on it, but it has two mosques. And so if you go there, don't take your Bible. I did. And the police took it away from me. This was in uh, recent times, 2012, when I went to the British Columbia Conference, and I had my Bible in my backpack. And we went to go up onto Temple Mount, and they took my Bible away from me. They said, that could incite a riot. Don't want a riot. Those were the Israeli police. You had to go through that checkpoint, and then you had to go up onto Temple Mount, and you were, you were greeted by the Palestinian Authority, who were there waiting, uh, because that is territory that is under the, the auspices of the Palestinian Authority, because that is, is, is sacred to the Muslim religion. It's the second 
most sacred site in all the world. Other than Mecca, you have Jerusalem, or Al-Quds, as they say in Arabic. And you have the Dome of the Rock, beautiful big mosque, and then off to the one side, you have Al-Aqsa Mosque. And these are holy sites in the tradition of Islam. So you can go up there, you can't take your Bible, but you can go up there as we did, and we toured around. You are no longer allowed as a non-Muslim to go into the Dome of the Rock. This is very sad because the first time I was there as a, as a student missionary, I was able to go into the Dome of the Rock anytime I wanted as long as I took my shoes off and was respectful. So because of the tensions, because of the terrorist activities, they are no longer allowing people that are not of faith, of that faith, to go into those places. This place has, has been the crossroads of so many uh, religions and or so many uh, wars. Jerusalem is, is still uh, uh, in, in the news. Uh, 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 we, we have a president who reignited the whole idea of talking about Jerusalem being a capital uh, which, which has been something that hasn't been talked about for years. Uh, so again, Jerusalem is in the news. So you have this, this temple mount, this wonderful construction. I told the class this morning that, that the huge, huge blocks of stone that make up the base, and then, uh, uh, yes, more the base, not so much the top end, but make up the base of the western wall of what used to be Herod's house, Herod's temple, they are, you know, 1920 metric tons. And they were put in place without the technology that we have today. So it's, it, it is an incredible place even today. Uh, recent excavation has excavated all the way along that western wall now underneath the town, much to the uh, Arabic section's dismay, you can now walk from the open part of the Western Wall, you can go in through a synagogue and down, and you can walk completely along the Western Wall of Temple Mount. Now, of course, our, our Jewish friends do believe that that is where the Holy Temple was. And they believe that they know exactly where it was on Temple Mount. And so as we walked along in that subterranean situation, we saw people sitting with chairs facing the wall because they believed that they were closer to the temple if they sat there. Even though there was a rock face right in front of them, they thought that this was the spot. This was the spot where the temple would be, just, just a little bit up there on, on Temple Mount. That temple was so important to the people in Jesus' day, it represented, it represented their very essence. It, it represented the, 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 the best of who they were in God. I mean, this is all about religion. This is all about having a religion that brings you closer to God and that, that this is, this is the, the essence of it was the temple. So it's no, it's, it's no mistake that the devil took Jesus to the highest point 
of the temple so that he could have a bird's eye view of the whole place. And then he said, now look, Jesus, if you'll just bow down and worship me, I'm, I'm kind of putting it a little backwards here, but if you'll just bow down and worship me, I, I will help you to do something spectacular and you can just, as Crayville says, you can just parachute in to Temple Mount like a, like a, a lightning bolt and everybody will see you and everybody will accept you and you'll become the, the greatest religious leader in the world. Nobody will ever have any doubt. You just have to bow down and worship. And by the way, if you want to test, test me, go ahead, throw yourself over. Because, you know, the Bible says God's going to catch you if you, if you jump. This is, this is a, a, a tremendously difficult temptation to, to deal with. He's already had to deal with the temptation for economic power. Now he is being tempted to deal with religious power. He, he's being offered, and this is an interesting uh, thing from a business perspective, miraculous, or, or yes, he's, he's being offered miraculous certification. You do it this way, and nobody is going to have any doubts about who you are. No need to, to, to fight to be the leader of the religious world. No need to care about the peripheral people, the disenfranchised, those who we've already thrown out of the church. No need to care for those. You know, you're going to be recognized by the, by the ruling junta of, of the religious organization. Same situation exists today. Uh, religion... Religion has become more important than our spiritual connection. Let's do a personal check. Who do I, who do you look to validate your spiritual life? Who, who do you look to to say, yep, you're doing good. Or, uh, sorry, you get a mark by your name. Who do you look to for that? Who do I look to? Okay? What Jesus is being offered is the opportunity to be the leader of an organization that has decided that it is going to choose who is going to heaven and who is going to hell. That's what they were doing already, wasn't it? In Jesus' ministry, didn't they take people and throw them out of the synagogue? Does the church stand as your spiritual guide? This is a, this is a tough question. So I, I, I don't know if I warned you, this is, a, this is a very tough thing to think about. Does the church stand as your spiritual guide? Uh, does it set your... Your, your values? Or have you met Jesus? Have you met Jesus and have you looked at him as your rabbi, as your leader, 
the setter of the, the ethics that you choose to live by. See, Jesus, Jesus was having a temptation here. Uh, you can become this big cheese this, of, of the religious world and, and you don't have to go through all the pain that you are headed for if you don't do this. Could it be, could it be that just, just following along with whatever it is that's going on in the religious group that you are part of means that you won't have to do the hard work of making sure that wherever you are going and wherever we are going is where Jesus is going. And you're thinking, oh my goodness, he didn't just say that. Yeah, I did. As a church, we need to be sure that we are following Jesus. Amen? We should not take for granted. You should not take for granted that I know everything that you need to know. Please, be Bereans. <laughs> Isn't that what happened to Paul? He gets to Berea and he preaches and then they go back that night and they open up their scriptures and they check it out and they find out that what Paul said was true by the scriptures and they come back in the morning and say, okay, now we'll listen to you. Whenever you want to say that to me, please do. Please do. Because I, I need to be sure that I'm following Jesus. And even Paul, the Apostle Paul, says what? Follow me as, as I follow Christ. So the inference is, if I'm not following Christ, you shouldn't either. I mean, you shouldn't follow me. Okay, so there's an, there's, an interesting, there's an interesting progression that's going on here. And Jesus is being tempted. Jesus is being tempted to say, hey, look, it's me. Follow me. I'm going to come in in this spectacular way. Follow me. It's me. When in actual fact, his mission was to come and say what he said so many times, and that was, you know what? I don't say anything. I don't do anything except what? My father tells me. I mean, if we had to go for, go for today's technology, we would be looking in Jesus' ear to see whether or not he had one of those little earbud things, right? I mean, you see them on all the shows, right? You, the person's got, the spy has this thing, and somebody's able to talk to them in their ear, and nobody knows that they're being talked to by some handler somewhere. Jesus basically said, my heavenly father is my handler. I don't do anything except that he says that I should do that. Or that I should say that. Personally, that's why I believe Jesus was perfect and that I am not. He never broke communication, connection with his heavenly father. That's why he's perfect and I'm not. Because I, like Isaiah says, I'm a sheep that has gone my own way. I've broken comms and I've decided that what I think is better than what God thinks. That is my definition of sin, is that broken connection, is that broken relationship. Jesus came to heal that back for humanity so that we could hear God, so that we could listen to God, and so that we could do as God wants. It's a really hard, really very, very hard temptation. And so Jesus does not even use his own words there and then. I believe he chooses to use the words that he had inspired 
Moses to write in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6, which says, Do not test, do not test the Lord your God. Now, I find this a little confusing because there is a text that says, where God himself says, Go ahead, test me. So there must be different kinds of tests. In this case, it is, it is a test that basically says, I don't believe you, and therefore I'm going to go my own way. That is what Jesus is being tempted to do, and I believe that that's what we get tempted to do every day. We get tempted to take things on ourselves. Jesus is being tempted here to become the leader of the religious world and to become the leader of the religious world as it was in Jesus' day. You see, that's the difference. What did Jesus say? My kingdom is not of this world. Did the disciples understand this? No. Acts chapter 1 verse 6 says, last chance, Jesus is leaving. And his disciples say, so now are you, is, is this the time? Jesus, is this the time that you are going to make Israel great? That's why I say, I don't want to be like the disciples before Pentecost. Because you see, the disciples before Pentecost, they were following Jesus because he fit the package of what they wanted in a Messiah who would then come and chase the Romans away and make Israel great again. That's why they followed him. That's why when he died, you know, they just said, oh, well, let's just go back up to Galilee and go fishing because that's what we know what to do. Right now, our, our guy is gone. Surprise, surprise, he's not gone. He meets them up there. He makes breakfast for them on the beach. And it's Peter who was the one who denied him publicly who says, it's the Lord. There's only one person who can do that kind of stuff. Bring in all these fish when we've been fishing all night and we put the nets on the wrong side and we pull in more fish than we've ever pulled in before. It's the Lord! And he, he tucks his stuff up and he jumps into the water and he swims to shore and there is Jesus. And of course, Jesus has that wonderful conversation with him about feeding his sheep. Jesus came, my friends, to initiate his kingdom. And I have great news for you this morning. Since Jesus resurrected from the dead and is at the right hand of the Father, He is the King of the world. Amen. We should never, ever be worried about that. We should never, ever feel that we need to be, in some respects, cowering when we think of the economy of this world and the way that, 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 that life is in these United States these days, we need to realize that we are, king, we, we are, are citizens of a kingdom with a king that stands at the very right hand of the Father, the, the God Almighty of the universe. It's good news. We're on the winning side. How do I know this? Because the Bible also says the devil knows his time is short. He's done. He's finished. <laughs> is that not good news? Or is the pastor just giving you a headache this morning? Bread, economic, economic power. 
Temple, religious power. The power to decide what you think about God. That's what the devil was offering. I'll give you all of this. They'll accept you. They'll let you be the leader. You won't have to fight for it. But it's going to be this. And Jesus said, don't test the Lord your God. His way is not this way. This iteration of what you think should be the way that you should worship God is not. That's why he keeps saying things like, you've heard that it was said. What? But I say unto you, Jesus came. Jesus came so that we could have this different picture of God. In our lesson study today, that featured very heavily when we think about the role that stewardship should play in our lives. When we tell people, I give tithe because God said so, we should understand that they may have a different picture of God than I do. So what we can do in our lives, how we can, how we can affect other people is to help them to have a better picture of God. Not only by how we live our lives, how we do our jobs, but also in the conversation that we have with people, we can have the opportunity to improve their picture of God by giving them a positive testimony. This is what I do with my money. This is what I do with my time. This is what I do with my life. And you know what? I'm healthy. I'm wise. Uh, the world is falling apart around me, but God is not causing me to be caught up in it. He is protecting me like the hedge that he put around Job. And people's jaws are just going to drop and they're going to say, oh my goodness, can I have some of that? Like the people at Pentecost. What must we do, brothers? And Jesus says, be baptized. Through Peter, who is speaking the words of Jesus. Be baptized, repent. Get away from that economy over there. Get away from that religious or religi religiosity. This thing that you think that when you do this thing, God is happy. Come on. Don't kill me about this, but I think these thoughts about what we do in this church. Why do you think I pray, God, please come and be blessed by what we offer you when we come to church? Because it's not a foregone conclusion that what we do is a blessing to God. We need to ask for the Holy Spirit to direct our lives so that who we are and what we do is a blessing to God. See, Revelation 14, 7 says, fear God, pay attention to him. This is the new way. This is, this is what Adventists are supposed to be preaching. We're supposed to be preaching. Pay attention to God because he is now going to be, he is the one who is going to set the stage for how you live and, and, and when you ask, how am I doing? You're not going to ask anyone else but God. That means Bible study, by the way. 
Because there's been a people, that, and some of them were in Jesus' day, who thought that what they were doing was what God wanted them to do. And they were very surprised, like maybe some of us are very surprised, to think that what we do is not what God wants us to do. It's not the priorities of God. Remember the, the guy that got robbed on the way to Jerusalem? Who stopped by to help him? Well, Jesus loves telling stories. He loves exaggeration. The Samaritan stops, right? Who could have stopped? The priest and the Levite. The head elder and the head deacon. But what did they prioritize? They said, we do not want to, get this, defile ourselves with this situation. They were listening in the audience. And Jesus basically says, the one that was godlike, the one that was watching what God would do and doing it was the one that you guys think is a, is, is a, is a hated person. And, and, and instead of the good church people being the ones who get their hands dirty in that situation as God has gotten his hands dirty in Jesus Christ coming to this world, it's called the incarnation, they walk on by. They miss out. That's why I said, I'm never going to beat you up for not paying tithe or offering. I'm going to pray for you because I'm sad for you. Because you will be missing out. You'll be missing out in participation in the economy that God wants us to be a part of in this world today where he gives us everything that we need and then he also gifts us with anything that we need in order to do what he wants. Okay? This is tough. This is really tough because he may ask a lot of us someday, kind of like the rich young ruler, he may say, you know what? You've got a lot of stuff. I want you to give it away. What was he saying to that man? I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. Go ahead. Give everything away and come follow me. In a nutshell, cease your dependence on taking care of yourself. Haven't we always called that works? Receive the grace of God, the power of God, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what we all want? Jesus offered it to this guy and he said, no, I'm going to take care of myself. And the people around, Jesus' own disciples, were completely dumbfounded. Oh my goodness. He's not coming? I thought all rich people were already in heaven because of the blessings of God. And they all missed the point. They all missed the point. I don't want us, I don't want us to miss this point. Jesus is saying the, 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 in, in, this, in responding to this temptation that he has given, the God of heaven will be the one to support you. He's given you an entire system which you have ignored, talking to Israel, 
You never kept the jubilees. You never kept the seven years. And the way that you keep Sabbath, you're totally missing the point. So I'll just tell you personally, as I have reviewed why I keep Sabbath, in light of this newer understanding in my life, I don't know why I didn't come to it before now, I have realized that Sabbath is all about this very topic. God is saying to you, hey, put down, put down the things that you feel you have to do in order to take care of yourself. I mean, really, take care of yourself. To have enough. We talked about that in Sabbath school class. What is enough? Why don't we let God decide what enough is? He's not going to let us die until he says die. That's another thing I said in Sabbath school class. So I'm going to tell the rest of you. You know that? You're not going to die until he says die. If you have given your life to Jesus, it is his to position and to dispose of as he decides. Before you say amen, just check that you really said that. Because that's what he was offering the rich young ruler. You come follow me. I will be responsible for your life. I will be responsible for how you proceed. And, 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 and that's okay with me because I'm the God of the universe. I can, make, I, I can feed 15, 20,000 people with five loaves and two fish. Go sell. Get rid of your props. This is what I call them. Because I know it's in my life too. I know it's in my life. I think that I can take care of myself. So he says, look, I'll give you six days. That's why I tell people I think he was laughing when he wrote the fourth commandment. <laughs> you guys, my children, my children, my children. Uh, you know, <laughs> you're going to try really hard to take care of yourself. I'm going to give you six out of seven days. But on the seventh day, look, just put it down. Just put it down. Stop trying to take care of yourself. Let me, let me take care of you. Trust, trust me. That's what I'm believing is now the essence of Sabbath. Okay? And yes, it does matter that it's on Saturday. Because we serve the God of creation. And it's a celebration of his power to take care of me. So why would I do it on Sunday? Which is not the day that he set aside. See how that makes sense? It's easy. Once you think of it in those terms, those economic terms, it's easy. It's easy. Jesus rejects making a spectacle of himself and he proclaims that the new heroes the new heroes of the kingdom will be those who have been thrown away by the religious system. Most of you don't know him, but I, I buried Vincent Mitzelfeld on Wednesday. Vincent made some bad decisions. And he was punished by the church. They never asked him back. And this giant of the music world was never able to be a blessing within the Adventist church again. 
When I went to see him some months ago on his sickbed, we talked, and the thing that he wanted to know the most was, was he forgiven? And I, I, I tell you, I had the joy, I had the joy then, and I have the joy now of telling you that it's not me or the church that decides if you are forgiven. It's Jesus Christ. He is the judge. We are not going to be in the place to say, you in, you out, you in, you out. Remember we did the parable, Jordan and I did the parable of the tares. Did Jesus say yes or no when his disciples said, should we go and pull the weeds out? He said, no. And Jordan came up with the brilliant idea that it's because weeds can have the potential under the guidance of the Holy Spirit to become wheat. So if you pull them out too soon, they may not get that chance to change and become sons and daughters of God headed for eternity. So don't pull them out. It's not your job. Wait till the harvest. Wait till the Lord of the harvest does his job. Jesus proclaims that the new heroes of his kingdom will be those that have been thrown away by the religious system of his day. So if you feel that way today, if there's been troubles that you have had in your religious experience and that it has affected your spiritual experience, I want to apologize. And I want to say that in this congregation, we are headed into an experience in the next however many years of helping people to know that Jesus is their savior, Jesus is their judge, and that he wants you home with him. Amen. And that I will be encouraging all of us and I'm hoping you will be encouraging me by saying I'm having experiences with people where I'm able to help them know that they may have felt that they were on the outside, but Jesus has come into their heart because of what they have heard and seen through the lives of people in this congregation. And they have been able to say now, I want to be with Jesus and I want to be with people who like being around Jesus. The old heroes... Uh, uh, did not like this because, of course, that they, they had thought that they were heroes. The church people of Jesus' day who were doing everything that they thought that they should be doing because they thought God was pleased with that, they were shocked. But you see, Jesus is in the business of inviting all the world. John 3.16, Jesus is in the business of inviting all the world into his kingdom. And he is not interested in being the spectacular leader of the system that divides, the system that takes the place of God and judges people. He is interested in a new kingdom. He has started a new kingdom, and it is based on him and him alone. And love and compassion are the new order of the day. Love and compassion. This is, what, this is what he says is the basis of his kingdom. So the invitation today is simple. As we unpack the principles of the kingdom of heaven, please don't, don't just take my word for it. Study it for yourself. Get to know Jesus. I don't, I, I don't care what you do, but please get to know Jesus because I, I have a, a, a very interesting news for you. 
Jesus is busy. <laughs> He's very busy right now. He's busy inviting everybody in the world to get to know him. And he'd love to know if you would be interested in helping out. That's, that's the, simple, the simple appeal today. Religion is that structure that we together can build that can enhance people's relationship with Jesus. If it's not doing that, my friends, if this religion that you are part of today is not helping you to know Jesus better, is not helping you to be a better helper of Jesus, quit now. Quit now. I'm ready to quit. Okay? We don't come to church just to make Jesus happy. Because we think that he's going to give us heaven if we come to church. That's what the people in Jesus' day believed. And he, tell, he told them, that's not the point. That is so not the point. I need a relationship with you. I want to know you and I want you to know me. And I want you to tell other people about me. So I want to be that kind of Jesus follower. And if you want to be that kind of Jesus follower, then let's pray. Father in heaven, <laughs> you, you have given everything that you possibly can to this world in Jesus Christ. There's nothing more that you can do to impress us. So Father, we, we ask today that, that as Jesus walked away from, from this temptation to, to grab a hold of the systems of the world and to to make them his and to become the, the big cheese in that situation. As he walked away from that and walked straight into your presence again, we want to do the same thing. We, we want to say, Jesus, please lead and guide our lives. Lead and guide our church. We get together. We worship you. We, we tell other people in the week, oh, Jesus, may those words and those meditations be acceptable to you, be helpful to you in the coming weeks and months and forever and ever we pray. Amen.